three. Here we go. Welcome to the Guide to Living Inspired Practical Jewish Sound Bites. And today we're continuing with the six constant mitzvahs. We're up to mitzvah number four. Can anyone say the first of the three six constant mitzvahs? Starting with... Good. Belief in God. God running the world. Number two. No idols. Don't. There's nothing but God. Don't. Don't worship anything other than God. Number three. God is one. God is absolute, ultimate reality. All there is is God. In fact, even evil is from God. Okay. And today we're going on to miss number four. Love of God. Avaz Hashem. In fact, it says it in the. In the Shema, you should love the Lord your God. It's to love God. So let's see what is included in the mitzvah of loving God. Um, good question, right? It's a good question. What does it mean to love God? So Maimonides says, how does a person come to love God? He says, you should look at nature. Look at the beauties of creation. Look at the incredible wonders of this world. And this, this is, works on many, many different levels. First of all, just looking at the world. Look at the sunset. It's a beautiful thing. right? Look at the incredible blessings of our life. Electricity. Wow. I have lights in my house. They work. You click a, a switch. Right? Uh, the wonders of modern technology. Look at um, the incredible blessings of food. Rabbi Avigdor Miller, a famous rabbi who lived in Brooklyn, was famous for his, his awe of nature. He used to carry around apple seeds in his pocket, and he'd just take them out and look at them and just marvel at the fact that an apple tree comes from a tiny little seed. He said, this is amazing. He said, if you were an alien who came to this planet and someone told you those giant trees, they come from this little seed, you would think he was crazy. The alien would think you were crazy, right? This, the fact that the way this world works is just unbelievable. We're just used to it. So we take it for granted. Another thing he used to talk about is how, like, he'd just take an apple and he'd look at how beautiful the colors were. He said, it's packaged. It comes straight from God to you. And it's packaged in beautiful colors. It has a wrapper on it to keep it safe, an orange. It's made up of these little juicy packets of, of taste. Like, essentially, that one time, Rabbi Victor Miller's grandson came into his house to find Rabbi Miller with his head submerged in, in the sink. And he's sitting there for, a, he's in the room for about a minute and he's getting nervous. What's happening here? And suddenly he pulls his head out of the, out of the water and he starts breathing and he says air air oh it's so amazing and he said that earlier that day he heard someone complaining about the disgusting new york air and he said how could someone speak badly about the air in new york i don't want to think badly about the air i want to appreciate the air so he stuck his head in water to to, to remind himself how precious it is to be able to breathe so 
level one of of Avas Hashem is just recognizing the beauty of nature. But if you want to go deeper, you could actually study it on the physics, the level of physics or biology of recognizing the incredible wonders of this world. I have a friend who um, was a biologist who ended up becoming religious, religious Jew, because of studying science. Actually, I have two friends like this who studied through studying biology. They were so blown away by how incredible everything works in the human body and in nature. And so one of my friends actually, he, he started writing textbooks that are used in Jewish schools around the country that incorporate Judaism into science. So talking about the wonders of creation. Um, and one of the things, he has a whole chapter on water. The fact that water freezes and, and when it freezes, it's less dense and it floats to the top allows life to exist on earth. Because if not for – if the if all the water froze in the ocean, there would be no life. The fact that water freezes, then the ice is less dense than the water it floats allows life to exist in the ocean, right? Stuff like that. And then if you want to go to the physics level, right, the fact that the way molecules work and the way atoms work is just unbelievable, for all this to have happened by accident is just – it's just mind-boggling. You have to have so much faith to be a scientist who's an atheist. It's just science, the natural world, is the greatest proof of God's existence. The fact that even if we could prove evolution – let's say evolution doesn't bother me at all. The problem with evolution is the premise that it happened randomly. Randomly, for one cell, for one strand of amino acid to come to existence by accident requires billions and billions and billions of coincidences for a single organism to develop. So many accidents that have to work in, in synchronicity, synchronicity, in union, that for me… If evolution is for sure true, it is the greatest proof of God's existence. Do you understand that? For the for one I think that the probability of one genetic mutation being beneficial for a species is like one to the negative one hundred power chance. Like it's like a one it's a it's like a one billionth chance in a one in a billionth chance, something to that effect. I, I used to have know the science a little bit better. I, I once did a little bit of research on this. I don't remember it now so much. But for for any anything to happen, and then you think about the complexity of an organism for so many accidents to happen is beyond. Okay, that's another, in my opinion, uh, that evolution is one of the great. The evolutionary theory is one of the greatest proofs of God's existence. And another thing that people talk about is the fine-tuned universe. That the for the for life to exist on Earth, the Earth has to be exactly the distance from the sun that it is. If it was one centimeter further, we would freeze. One centimeter closer, we would burn up. I mean, I don't know if a centimeter, but like something to that effect. Now, some people don't like that proof because they say, "Well, we're here, so obviously it worked, right?" So this was the coincidence that worked out. But the fact that on all the other planets that we see and all the stars, none of them have the ingredients for life. It's quite miraculous that we happen to be here. Again, I'm just throwing out ideas. I'm not an expert in any of these theories, but they're all worth looking at. So, 
the Torah does not say anything about aliens, although it does say like Nephilim, fallen beings, or these like Elohim, B'nai Elohim, the sons of gods or sons of rulers. There's different characters mentioned in Bereshis in Genesis that are not it's not clear who they are exactly. So you could read anything into it. But someone once asked Lubavitcher Rebbe if aliens exist, and he said, to believe that they don't is minimizing God. So we don't know. Do they exist? Maybe, maybe not. But as sentient beings with free will, it seems quite likely that based on what we understand from the Torah's perspective, that human beings are the only beings that possess free will. But then again, I don't know, and I don't think that we can pigeonhole the Torah into any box to say one way or the other definitively on that subject. So the idea of, of loving God is that we have to look at every opportunity and, every, and really what we talked about today, earlier today about waking up in the morning and being grateful. Right? If you believe in God, then you have a lot of reason to love God. I guess you could probably say you have a lot of reason to hate God also for the bad things that happen in your life. But we already mentioned, if you go through the first things that we mentioned, that evil comes from God and that God runs history and is running the show and not to worship idols. So essentially, we already have to believe that everything happens for the good and that everything's part of a master plan. So then I might as well love God even for the challenges because I know it's all for my good. So that's essentially the mitzvah of loving God. Another thing Maimonides says is to study Torah is a means of loving God and recognizing the incredible depth and beauty of the Torah, the incredible opportunities the Torah gives us to grow close to God. And um, ultimately, um, if we, if we, the idea of love from a Kabbalistic perspective means desire to come close to something. When you love something, you want to draw towards it. So the more we can meditate on our desire, and really this is the ultimate desire of all human beings, is to come close to God. If you ask anyone in the world, why do they do what they do? Why do you want to make a lot of money? Oh, because I want to be rich. Why do you want to be rich? Because I want security. Why do you want security? Because I want freedom. Why do you want freedom? Because I want to, I want to live in peace. Why do you want to live in peace? Because I want to feel one. Everyone, everything, no matter what a person is looking for, it's an experience. Everyone's looking for an experience of contentment and of oneness, of unity. That's an experience of God. No matter what, think about it. Every desire that anyone's looking for, it's for they're looking for an experience of connection, an experience of oneness, an experience of unity, an experience of peace, of harmony, of, of happiness. These are all different expressions of oneness. And in fact, every profession, every creative, creative art form is all a means to create unity in a world of chaos. A chef is taking different spices, putting them together in a way that creates unity. An artist taking different colors and shapes, putting them together to create unity. A builder is taking different items and putting them together into an, an object that works and that works harmoniously. Everyone, scientists trying to create unity in a world of chaos to figure out the unified field theory, the laws that govern reality. An economist, everyone. Is sim- we're in this world to find God, to draw close to God. And if you ever have a spiritual experience, which is a moment of ecstasy, an ecstatic experience of try- almost the soul leaping out of the body, the Hasidic texts explain that the soul is like a flame. A flame is constantly trying to leap off 
the vessel. He says that that's the soul. If you really connect to the soul, your soul wants to leave the confines of this world, the confines of this body, and just reattach itself to the unity, to stop being in my small, confined, little vessel of my body, my narrow-minded, weak, insecure body, to reconnect to complete unity, to be part of everything. That's the Buddhist experience of enlightenment to leave this world and connect to absolute eternal oneness. But Judaism says the goal is not to do it by leaving the world, to do it in the world, through the world, by staying in the body. And in fact, it says uh, that um, Rabbi Akiva says was burned at the stake for teaching Torah by the Romans. His flesh was combed off by iron combs. And Rabbi Akiva said his whole life, he wanted to give his his life up for God. And it says that he said the Shema, while he was being tortured to death, and his soul left in the Echad, when he said Echad, one. His soul literally leaped up into the oneness. But the amazing thing is that his whole life he wanted to give up his life for God, but he didn't. He didn't give his life up for God, because that's what the Torah wants, is us to learn to connect to God in this world, in the life, without giving up our life. So we can now, today, take a moment, this week, to just think about Love of God. If you are aware there's a God, if you believe in a God, then there's so much to be to love Him for, because essentially He gave us this opportunity of life, and life is is just full of so many blessings. It's easy to see the cup half empty. It's easy to focus on what we don't have, but if we can engender an attitude of gratitude, learn to focus on what we do have, we can literally live a life of bliss, a life without insecurity, anxiety, anger, jealousy, none of that is necessary. If we really focus on faith in God and love of God, we can literally live in Gan Eden, in the Garden of Eden, right here in this world.